59 of the Sleeper and the Bus. It's your Tuesday edition. I am Paul Spore. Joined as always on Tuesdays by an Eno Saris who is nearing a trip to the yard. How's it going, Eno? Uh, okay, I guess. Where, where, are, we, where are we going tonight? Uh, you're going to see Kane Arietta. Okay, very nice. Very jealous of that, especially because of the Arietta. And I'll admit, but uh, I remain intrigued by Kane to see if he can kind of rebound. Actually, we'll talk a little bit about him later. Um, but yeah, it'll be great. If, obviously, you won't get to talk to Arietta, but just getting to see him should be fun. Few guys are as dialed in as he is right now 15 and 6, 230 ERA, totally backing up last year. You know, we got plenty to talk about today. We got some hot hands at the dish that I want to get your take on. How has uh, the perception changed of them? And, you know, what, what's the outlook for them for next year? Uh, some closers that I want to talk about. We don't talk a lot about closers. I tend to neglect them, uh, not on purpose necessarily, but I just I don't always think to put them on the list or anything. But obviously they're very, they're very important to fantasy, even though they're very annoying. But I want to talk about some new ones uh, who are excelling quite a bit. And then we'll talk some pitchers, um, just a, a smorgasbord of guys, someone returning from two Tommy Johns, former stud who's looking like his old self, and then, of course, Matt Cain, as I mentioned. So let's dive in with the hitters first, you know. And uh, I put him at the top. He was actually already going to be on the list because of how elite he's been lately. But uh, we were also uh, asked a question on Twitter about him. So I just say, you know what, let's just put him to the top and talk right about A.J. Pollock, who uh, had a good first half. 814 OPS with a 299 average, 11 homers, 19 stolen bases. That, those were the season totals that a lot of projections had for him, 11 homers and 19 stolen bases. So he beat that in the first half. Um, he's been out of his mind in the second half. He's traded a little bit of that power, uh, okay, a, a, a lot of it in terms of the home runs, but not the overall. His slugging is still through the roof. Uh 388 average, 443 on base, 575 slug. That's a 1018 OPS for Pollock. Only two bombs, but 14 stolen bases. He's out of his mind. What are your thoughts on AJ Pollock as it relates to his current season? Yeah, I guess the the question for me has always been, you, you know, he's a right-hander, and you know he didn't come up as a top prospect. <clears throat> uh, is that right? Uh, you know, uh, he, he was he was a prospect. He was not. A, a top 100, but I believe he was known always in the in the upper portion of the Diamondbacks list. So one of right. those that was still pretty well known, even though he wasn't a top 100 guy, but definitely not some blue chipper who had big expectations. And I know that where you're going, thinking that maybe he would have been a platoon guy. That was what probably held him back. Was there was yeah, some so, thought about that? You know, and when he first came up, they limited his exposure to righties and. Um, you know, he didn't do very well the first couple of times uh, through 2012-2013. He um, was below average against uh, right-handers. And then, you know, if you if you have that split open, you know, that split page open, it's tempted to say, well, geez, I wonder how much of his good work against righties the last couple of years has been Babbitt-driven because his batting average on balls in play went from 240 his first year to 311, to 365 and 351. So, you know, how much of what he's doing against righties is uh, driven by by batted ball luck. But, you know, just in general, the way that he uh, hits the ball hard, his hard percentage, even against lefties, is high. And, um, you know, isn't a a big pull guy, bunts the ball, gets infield hits, 
Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't avoid the pop-up completely, but, you know, isn't a pop-up problem guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, he should have like a, you know, 310, 320 at least. So, um, you know, I think the worst case scenario for Pollock is that he drops back down to uh, 2013 against right-handers where uh, he was 259, 315, 363 against right-handers. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's with a 310 Babbitt. Although I would say that his 104 ISO that year against righties is probably a little low given you know the power we've seen from him since. So yeah. I'd up that to a guy who can hit 260 with like a you know close to 400 slugging against righties, and then is just going to demolish lefties. Yeah, so could could have like a, a low to mid 700s OPS against righties. So just staying afloat, but then doing his big damage against lefties. I, again, I I agree with you that that's kind of a worst case. Right now he's in his prime. Uh, it's not too outlandish to see these big Babips, 344 last year, 356 this year. But, you know, as the wheels slow down, uh, as his bat slows down a little bit, obviously th- those will come down. But I, I think we're looking at a, a high-quality player here. Really like what we've seen from A.J. Pollock this year. Now, moving it forward, that was the Twitter question we got. He was asking, you know, saying, listen, I know it's early, but are we talking about a top two-round pick next year? Based on your outlook, my guess is no, but but where do you see him going next year, A.J. Pollock? Uh, from where we stand today, obviously it's tough. We do have a whole nother month, so things can definitely change substantially. But uh, there's no denying this is a total breakout season following up last year's 75 games and uh, his stock's definitely on the rise, but how high in your estimation? Well, he's 27. Um, and uh, let me compare him to uh, a guy that he kind of, his overall line looks a little bit like uh, Charlie Blackman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Blackman is 29 and is a left-hander. So he's going to have a platoon advantage more often. Um, and he's got the Coors advantage. So I'd, I'd take Charlie Blackman over uh, A.J. Pollock. I guess uh, that, that, that asks another question right in there, though. How high is Blackman's stock? Because, uh, you know, he was somebody who wasn't believed in this year. Uh, you know, that he had his he had his believers, but as a general fantasy community, he wasn't being taken where you would normally see that kind of line, 19 homers, 28 stolen bases with a 288 average in Coors being taken. Um, so his stock has to rise again, too. So once you kind of figure out where Pollock is, how high do you have Blackman? Is he the second rounder and then maybe Pollock's a third, fourth rounder? Yeah, I think that's pretty decent. <clears throat> I mean, I, the, the, I guess the risk is that Blackman gets traded, but... Uh, they still own him for a little bit, and I think they're going to focus more on trading Reyes and Cargo. I agree. Uh, and I don't. And I think they're the kind of team that is going to try and get. I mean, <clears throat> just look at the the guys they got in the past deal. Um, they got uh, arms that are, you know, not too far away. Uh, big arms that are not too far away. So that's what they'll be looking for with Reyes and, and Cargo, and they'll be looking to build around Dickerson and Blackman. I think so. And Arenado. And Arenado. So, I, you know, I think they have enough hitters and they're going to try and deal those guys off for arms. And I think Blackman's going to be part of the, the solution going forward. So um, then if you if you keep him in that park, um, even with the kind of steals regression that comes um, with age, uh, I, I think there's no way you don't you don't project him for at least uh, 290, 15, 30 next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and hopefully uh, it tightens up the uh, the success rate a little bit. Ten caught stealing last year, thirteen already this year. Uh, but, but that team, I don't think is 
That's I was just about to say that they don't care. (laughs) They're going to allow it. So that that's all right. I'm not worried necessarily about him kind of and and he's right there on the cusp. That's a 72 percent mark. That's the break even. So even if they've got a statistical analyst looking at it, they're not necessarily going to come to him and say you're you're dropping a 64 percent on us. You need to stop. So I I agree with you, though. Even even the the caught stealings that we're seeing likely won't put a red light on him. I just don't want it to be curbed at all because it can be so high because he has a good on base, too. He had 356 this year. He's taking more walks. So I really like what we're seeing from Blackman as well. I like both these players. I agree with you. I'd take Blackman ahead. Uh, I can't quite get Pollock into the second round, even just kind of eyeballing it or, or thinking off the top of my head how that, how those two first rounds would break out. But uh, I wouldn't wait too much longer. I do think, and I'm a sucker for the power speed combo guys, so I might have him higher than than the normal level. But uh, he's definitely. I mean, he's 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 a lock for keep five. Yes. Uh, and uh, and yeah, I think you could push him into the third. I think my projection for him, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about those high babips. You know, as much as I've said that I like his his batted ball mix and his speed, um, I would I would like to, you know, I'm a little bit closer to Steamer, uh, which has him projected for like a 280, 285. So I, I guess I'll, I'll split the difference, call it a 290, just like Blackman. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a few more steals because he's younger, but, um, but less pop. Yeah, so I think maybe 1035. It's going to be very close to Blackman, actually. And, you know, if you had, you know, your choice between the two and, and there was something else you could do, like if you could, if you were pretty sure that that um, that Pollock would be around in the third, and, and you could skip Blackman and, and try to get Pollock. So Yeah, if you were, if you really like Blackman and Pollock, but you also had some pitcher or another position that you're like, oh, I should really take this guy here. Uh, Pollock, I think, is a perfectly suitable fallback option to Blackman because, like, as you're doing the numbers, we're coming out that it's really not even that too too disparate here, and that Diamondbacks' offense is pretty good, uh, and I think they'll only get better next year. And both play in good parks. Granted, Blackman's is substantially better. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, Gregory Polanco. This is a guy who's, you know, he's having a very interesting season as far as I I can see it because. Uh, you know, first off, got off to the running hot start last year when he was first called up. Looked great right off the bat, like his first 10, 14 games. It really wasn't even that long, but it felt great. Top prospect. Oh, my God, this outfield's going to be amazing. And then he hit the skids hard. Well, that carried over into this season not quite as hard. I mean, uh, he, he was a 7.10 OPS in April and a 6.55 in May, but then a 5.40 in June for, for Polanco. Now, the one thing that he was delivering all year, even in the midst of, of those poor numbers, was he was still running. He had 17 stolen bases through June, so that was huge. Well, uh, the speed's kind of gone away, but everything else has turned up, so it's a trade-off that you're willing to make. In the second half, Polanco has an 8.93 OPS with a 3.27 average four homers and just four stolen bases but he got the four homers in 161 plate appearances after getting three in 336 during the first half so are we seeing some maturation here from from Gregory Polanco or is it just a hot run well and I can see some evidence that he's swinging less of breaking stuff which uh, I think is a particularly important against lefties he's um you know, sometimes he's a little bit vulnerable to breaking pitches on the outside corner from lefties. Um, you know, he's uh, he's got a little bit uh, – he's got a swing that wants to swing out over the plate. Um, you know how, like, Harper has has built his swing around the outside corner. Blanco's not as exaggerated, but he's got – 
he likes sort of middle out almost. And um, that gets him into trouble when it's middle out and down. Um, and uh, that was, uh, I think, the biggest uh, change he had to make. Um, in terms of his like, overall swing and reach rates, though, uh, I see little, little difference. Uh, since July, 43.8% uh, swing rate, 30.6% uh, reach rate. Um, for the for the season, forty three and thirty. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I see a little bit in the heat map where, you know, down and away, a little bit of a, um, a little bit of an ability to uh, to lay off, you know, doing a little better on that. Is, uh, but is he somebody that that you're uh, apt to to be? gravitating toward for next year as, as uh, you know a 24 year old with a season and a half under his belt are, are you looking for some breakout in there um how do you how do you like his out uh, long-term outlook for gregory polanco for sure i mean i, I this is this is like a he's like a regular chat um name because there's always someone who likes to come and um yell at me about <laughs> uh gregory polanco and you know, I just uh, my regular refrain is still like him, still like him. Yep, still like him. Hey, dude, I'm, I'm still getting hammered on TJ House for crying out loud, and that dude hasn't <laughs> pitched since April. So uh, I'd love to be getting hammered on somebody like a Gregory Polanco type that I can very easily just still back. I, I would say the same thing as you. Yeah, I still like him. He's 23. I mean, it just it doesn't always happen all at once. That's not right. the kind of guy that people should be pointing fingers at analysts saying, "Oh, you got that one wrong." Because honestly, he can have that star turn at 24, 25, and keep it going for three years, and then that chatter is nowhere to be found. That guy, <laughs> that guy's not coming around anymore. Well, There's no chance. You know, and I and I take it even further. Like, um, I mean, from the beginning, I said above average, con uh, above average patience, above average contact rate. Uh, above average base running, above average fielding, um, and that's the kind of stuff. Like, like the floor is so high on that. That's not the kind of guy who's going back to the minor leagues. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not the kind of guy who's going to bust. It, it's he's only going to slowly climb up in the batting order. You know, because yep. he's got that nice patience, um, and the the power's pre-peak, so that power's just going to inch up. And you can see it even this year. He's starting to hit more fly balls. Um, and uh, than he did last year, and, and yeah. everything's just incrementally better. The swing strike rate got a little bit better. The strikeout rate got a little bit better. The power got a little bit better. Uh, he's stealing more bases, and like so, it's all it's all just getting a little bit better, and it's all going to get a little bit better next year. And you know, somebody asked me, uh, I'm in a dynasty league. I'm going to sell Miggy and um, and somebody else, and uh, and try to you know build for next year. And they asked me for some names, and I was like, well, you know, off the top of my head, Betts, Bogarts. Um, those are the, those are the kind of, you know, those are names that I would, that I would go for mm -hmm. because, you know, a guy like Corey Seager, you would really want it to be like Seager and Betts because, you know, Seager still has, you know, a bus rate attached to him. Whereas, Absolutely. um, you know, Betts is a little bit more, he's a major leaguer, established major leaguer at this point. So, uh, <clears throat> and I like, I like Polanco in that, in that, in that mix too. You know, I think, um. You know, I think a projection, like a, a reasonable projection for for him next year, is, is 270, 330, 400. So uh, that's that's pretty much what he's doing now. Um, you'd give him maybe 10 homers and and 20 stolen bases, 25 stolen bases. That's that's uh, you know Pollock light. You know, it's exactly. uh, and and that's that's like not even 
tacking a lot, improvement on. And that's, right, exactly. that's the thing is that, yeah, you, you take that uh, because it's a, a nice floor, but there's so much more that can be done. So I'm with you. I'm fully in on, on Polanco still and, and trying to snap him up anywhere. I can't particularly in keeper leagues where uh, I might have an eye on, on 2016 at this point. And, you know, it is, uh, the, it is this kind of uh, stacking of, of, of players, this, this kind of uh, Blackman, Polanco, uh, Blackman, uh, Pollock, Polanco, like sort of grouping that makes, um, you know, ranking and, uh, and keeper strategy and all that stuff very interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, I have, I have Blackman. I'm keeping him in the fifth round in one league. I like, I like that a lot. And it's a league where strikeouts matter. So strikeouts are a negative stat. So it, the fact that he can steal bases, hit for power, doesn't strike out a lot. Like that whole combo is just really good for me in that league. And, you know, he's probably a first or second rounder in, that, in those particular settings. But still, uh, the, the, the point is that if I was going into next year in a redraft league, um, I would almost target the fifth round or sixth or seventh round to get a player like this. Definitely. Because, you know, because, it, you know, I'd still want a little bit more power with my speed in the second round. So as much as I like Blackman, and this might be a weakness of mine, I should maybe just take him on value, you know, in a redraft league and just say this is the right place for him value-wise. But when there are there are comparable players with his skill sets around and, you know, there aren't that many other Let's say, uh, let, let's say I'm looking at like uh, I guess Arenado's not a second base, uh, not a second rounder anymore. But uh, well, he, he might be the very. Early. You think he's automatic first rounder? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I'm cool with him being in there. I'm I'm wondering more if if we're gonna be. Oh, let's, at, say, let's say maybe Bryant. Uh, he might be a first rounder. No, I think Bryant uh, is probably gonna be pretty safely in the second. I mean, you can't you okay. can fit so many guys. Let, let's right, go exactly. with Bryant yeah. as a second rounder. Yeah. Okay, so let's say I'm looking at Bryant and. I'm like, well, I can get a guy who might, you know, might go 30-20 at third base, um, or a guy who might go 20-30 in the outfield. Um, you know, and and there's Pollock in the next round or two rounds later, and there's maybe Polanco three or four rounds after that. You know, that makes the decision very easy for me. So, anytime that I I'm in a redraft, you know, league and I'm making decisions. Yeah, I have my rankings, but, you know, at some point that stuff goes out the door because I start seeing groupings of players. And I'm like, well, you know, I like this guy, but he's not the bottom of this tier. You know, I still see two or three more guys. Like, that's how I ended up with Lucas Duda in tout on base percentage league because I was like, well, you know, Prince Fielder, you know, second, third round, that's fine, whatever. You know, I, I forget exactly who my I was looking at, but, you know, I was looking at a lot of first basemen, and I kept saying, well, Lucas Duda's still there. Well, Lucas Duda's still there. Well, Luke. And then it was like the 12th or 14th round. I'm like, okay. Okay, I'll, I'll finally take him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I still think tiers are the way to go. I absolutely love doing tiers. Um, I, I won't really do a draft without them uh, if I can help it because they, it's, the, it's the right way to think. And listen, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody as kind of falling in love with a particular player uh, and just kind of getting hyped on on that certain player, but then you know when push comes to shove and I'm in a draft, I can still step back and say, listen, as much as I love player X, uh, players Y, Z, and B are are all very similar, 
and I can't pay the the, the name value on, on said player uh, when it can be had just uh, a couple rounds later. You know, like, like you're talking with that Blackman Pollock and, and Polanco maybe in, in that group, at least as far as upside, he definitely is. Uh, all right, you know, we got to move on here and talk about a few other guys. This guy might actually kind of fit into the mold. We got two more outfielders uh, to go. We got Rusny Castillo. Who's, who's turning it on of late. That whole team, by the way, is really starting to, to club the ball around. Obviously, when you drop 22, that's going to inflate any sort of time period that you're looking at uh, with regards to their whole team numbers. That 22 came on Felix Hernandez, by the way. Not all of them, but geez, they, they lit him up. But uh, Ruznik Castillo is a big part of that. We've talked about Jackie Bradley recently uh, and what he's doing. Castillo is right there matching him hit for hit. In August, Castillo has 69 plate appearances, which are really nice, and most of them have been nice. 391, 426, 625 with two bombs, two doubles, two triples, actually three bombs, excuse me. So seven extra base hits out of his 25, uh, two stolen bases, 18 ribbies. That's huge. That's a that's a 172 pace for 16 for 162 games. So uh, just plan for that, by the way, 172 ribbies from Ruznik Castillo over his next 162 games. That pace will definitely hold. But, you know, (laughs) where where do you stand on on him? Because I I think the uh, the stock has has plummeted in terms of fantasy uh, excitement. You know, he's still getting picked up and and people care. But the hype was very high this year. I was in on it, too. I was very excited about him. And it really hasn't panned out. Now, even if he has the, a great finishing month here to go with his August, he still can't really make back what he cost. But it's nice to see Rusnik Castillo clobbering the ball. So where do you stand with him right now? It, it's pretty funny because you know going into the season I was I was fading him because I didn't find his projections based on um, on Cuban stats that great you know and I I thought that his his translations were you know him and Tomas were a, you know a, a real real big jump down from the Abreu um, you know yeah absolutely in terms of translations and. Uh, their numbers just didn't look that good uh, when you when you took the context of the Cuban leagues into into context. So I, I was kind of fading him, but then um, the the price got so low that I ended up with two or three shares of him, just saying, "Well, you know, they they, they there's still something to be said about his athleticism. He's still like when I watch him, I know what they're talking about, you know, absolutely, and uh, and I and I see." the athleticism and I see the excitement and, you know, I can see some five tool in there a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so I got those three shares and all of a sudden, of course I started rooting for him because, <laughs> and one of those shares came at the cost of, you know, a, like a $60 Mike Trout in auto new where, you know, he's still the best player, but he was also on a very expensive deal. And nice. I got like McCullers and, and Rusne and, and like two or three other pieces. And, all of a sudden, I was like, "God, I think I lost that trade." Unless, <laughs> unless Castillo well, does something. So all of a sudden, I'm yeah, like, "Come on!" And, <laughs> and Trout's wrist is really tipping that scale back in, back in your favor. Um, yeah, well, I would I would say that you know the truth is somewhere in between. I mean, the guy th- hits two thirds of the balls on the ground and is also uh, you know 27 years old. So there's not a ton of projection in him. And and then one last to to waffle one last time. Jose Abreu hits a lot of ground balls and has a decent home run per fly ball rate. So I'm not saying that the same guy, but, um, you know, could we see like a 15% home run per fly ball rate? Um, This goes back to our conversation about 
don't look at the home run for a fly ball rate without looking at the fly ball rate. Yes. Uh, you know, exactly. because, you know, it sounds weird to, to say, oh, you know, Rosane Castillo has a 20% home run for fly ball rate. That can't hold. He's not that kind of player. Except he hits two-thirds of balls on the ground, so maybe he is that kind of player. That's still the kind of player that's going to hit you, you know, 10 to 15 home runs a year. Exactly. You know, and now he's stolen six bases in the major leagues and never been caught. So now I think, you know, it's not crazy to push the projections for next year. And, and now they're starting to believe in him and have a place for him. And now everyone's starting to talk about how the outfield is going to be Castillo, Betts, Bradley. Bradley. Oh, my God. That, I, I'm getting hyped on that, too. Right? Uh, and, that, and now is awesome. that whole waiting for him? Like, my projection for him next year would probably be 280 um, 10-10 or 280-10-15. Now, this is in the Polanco scale. It's in the He's in that grouping because, you know, just a little bit more stolen bases and he's a 10-30 guy, you know? Yep. And, and if, and if the pop at all. if the pop holds, then all of a sudden maybe you're pushing mid-teens because, um, you know, he's only got 203 plate appearances. we got seven bombs so far, so that's like a 20-homer season. Uh, we don't think it would be that high, but even if you bump that down and he kind of stays near this level, then again, you're talking mid-teens. But yeah, I like the 10 projection just to be safe with a good average. And then if that offense it, it continues the way we've seen them lately – and I expect them to be good next year, then the, the team-dependent numbers, the runs and RBIs, will be nice as well because he'll continue to inch his way up that lineup. So I'm, you know, Rusnay Castillo, I, I like that you've got him in that grouping as well, and his price should be lower than that grouping again. So if you are faced with a decision on Polanco and another guy um, in, in the appropriate round and you're like, dang it, I would really like Polanco here, but I can't pass up on, you know, whatever, this catcher or this pitcher that I've got to get, well, you could probably get Rusne a couple rounds after him. So it's another situation where the tiers are there and, and they can be very helpful when you're in the midst of your draft. Even if you're ranking, say, Polanco's the next guy that you should take, your team context is still going to matter in, in terms of what you can get later. And I think we have identified an actually sort of massive tier, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I just uh, sorted this year's stone base uh, grouping in, and uh, I'm just going to name outfielders that I think belong in this Blackman tier that we've created. <clears throat> so Blackman and, and Pollock are right there. <clears throat> Starling Marte. Yes. Uh, um, Lorenzo Cain. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, you know, depending on uh, – it's always health, but Cameron Maven. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and, he, and, and, and it can, it's, a, it's a fairly wide tier. So some of this is – you know, some of these guys are bottom, some of them are top. And you can argue that they're not in the same tier. But I think these are all guys that are going to have decent batting averages and, and 10, 25, 10 type – 1030 type well, guys. And, th and that's the thing too. You have to keep in mind because uh, you know I'm sure when you said Marte and Kane, folks were like, no, those guys are better. You still have to think about downside too because th th those two right. are both having great years. What if they and don't how, have the perfect year next year? Right. And how much better are they? I mean, I guess Marte might end the year with with 20 homers and um, I put that reverse hex on him, man. I write that piece about how he's not bombing out and he just drops bombs all over me. And he's probably, you know, he's probably the best of the whole group. But, you know, there's some stuff going on there. He gets hit by pitches a lot. He could easily get hurt. And, mm -hmm. um, you That's know, a part of his game, weirdly enough. Yeah, it is. And he's got a kind of a, a little bit of a weird um, batted ball mix and stuff. So, I, you know, yes, I put him first in that tier. But I'm not sure that I bust him out of the tier. But maybe he's the closest. Uh, I'm not done yet, though, because no, there's Jason going. Hayward. Yes. There's Jason Hayward. Um, Brett Gardner. Uh, Mookie Betts. I think uh, today's Jacoby Ellsbury is in this tier now. Yeah. 
Um, and Dexter uh, Fowler, maybe. What's he been? Carlos doing? Gomez. Carlos Gomez got Dexter Fowler. Be. And, and Gomez, uh, see that Gomez is a good is a good case. Uh, what I'm talking about, uh, don't always just judge them on their best, like we're saying with Marte and Kane, who are who are at the top right now. Gomez used to be at the top as well, and you know he's he's just having a tough season because it, it it can you can have down seasons. Yet at the same point, he's still contributing nicely in his 96 games. You got nine homers, 12 stolen bases. It's not killing you, but there were, the expectations were much higher on Gomez. Do you think Adam Eaton belongs here? He's had a big power surge. Do you think it's legitimate? Yeah, I was just looking at him. I do. He has changed his batted ball mix, but it, you know, I'm not sure we can push his stolen bases far enough uh, that's, to really. That's probably fair. Uh, he's probably because I was looking at Michael Brantley too, and I mean, he'll probably might, stop running more. They might be in the tier based on value, but we are we're building like a, a, a like a player type tier almost, and. Um, yeah, I'd be more likely to put a guy like Christian Yale again. Yes. Um, because okay. a full season from him gets you 30 steals. Uh, and even with his ground ball problem, at least probably 10 homers. So, um, I mean, this is a lot of players that we put together. Yeah. And we're just sort of doing it on the fly here a little bit. Um, you know, you, you could make an argument for... Uh, George Springer, hello. He's in it. I mean, his, his ceiling yeah. is higher. But right. uh, he still hasn't shown that he can stay healthy for a full year. So maybe you have to kind of, the, the uh, abbreviated numbers kind of maybe move him into that tier a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I think that's pretty decent. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I, I've come now to I'm, – I'm looking at Chris Coughlin. Um, I don't maybe. know he's a little bit more. But he's sold out yeah. for it. He, he has changed his, his mix as well. And, and Coughlin's and, more of the, like, Eaton type. There's another type that's more of, like, the – the 10, 10, 15, yes. 15. Um, that's where you start getting, you know, maybe you can put Spawn in there. And, um, Jackson. You know, yeah, there's that's another grouping that I think comes later. Um, and that, those are decent guys. I think those are decent final guys for most rosters because um, you can slot them in. Um, you know, maybe not final guys for H, uh, head-to-head because – in head-to-head, you, you'd almost rather have, a, like, a Ben Revere-type guy as your yes. final guy. or a power-only yeah. guy. Well, someone who right. does something more substantial, uh, even if it's only one side. Pardon me. Yeah, so but I, Roto, I agree with you like, Roto utility, uh, Coughlin is great because, you know, when he's in there against righties, he's going to give you stuff in every category. Mm-hmm. And then he allows you to use your bench to, to kind of take shots at upside. And then knowing that, you know, I have somebody – um, representative, a Coughlin or a Spawn type that um, will give me something across the board, you know, in my Utah slot. That that allows me to take some prospects for my bench, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, some guys that might actually play. So anyway, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan of the of the power speed guys. I I definitely uh, fawn over them, maybe to a fault, but uh, it, I feel like it served me well in building outfields for sure. Let's jump over real quick and finish on hitters before we get into some pitchers and, and just do a check in on on Stephen Piscotti because we spoke at length about him when when he joined the club and and uh, you had plenty to say about him. Now you've seen a little bit of time, 117 plate appearances. And and of course they sprinkled the devil magic. He got his he got his packet of how to uh, how to adhere to devil magic, and he sprinkled it on himself. And so he's hitting 321 with four bombs, 19 ribbies, a stolen base, 10 doubles, two triples, uh, 146 WRC plus, a, a one WAR already. Uh, so Piscotti looks looks good early on. 
Um, has anything veered from your initial thoughts on him, um, either less than or, or better than? Or are you still kind of sticking with your same initial uh, thoughts on him and he's just kind of riding a hot streak right now? Well, uh, one thing that I'm seeing for sure is that he's getting more pitches in the zone um, than average. And uh, that's the kind of thing that will happen to you early on. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, if he if he keeps uh, torching fastballs, you might he might see fewer fastballs, too. But, um, uh, you know, that's that's one thing I see. And the other thing is it's very strange that he was kind of like a contact uh, guy uh, coming up. And now he's is. Four percent walk rate and twenty-two percent strikeout rate. But I think right. what will happen is, I think what will happen is they'll they'll throw it, uh, fewer pitches in the zone. He'll walk more, um, and the batting average will go down a little bit as he progresses. And um, you know the the projections will have him almost half the ISO that he that he's shown so far. And you know I think it's uh, this is a good thing to rem- to really remind people that uh, power in small samples is 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 fool's gold. I mean. Uh, take one or two of those homers away, and uh, he looks a lot different. So, yeah. uh, I, I would say uh, he whiffs more than I thought he would, uh, which is a bad thing. And then look at the projections; they all see the the the, the guy that from the minors still. That yeah. all the projection systems have that strikeout rate going way down, the walk rate jumping up, and him kind of balancing out. And I could definitely see that happening, though. I, I, I don't think he would necessarily put it on the record, but he probably knows that he's being approached differently and Piscotty's taking advantage of it and that once they kind of catch up, he's going to have to change. And hopefully for his sake, he does realize that because there's going to be a change and and the success is just not going to come this easily um, as they make that adjustment. He's got a 38% hard contact rate. I imagine that is just an utter decimation of fastballs that will start to dry up very soon. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'll take him in a bunch of leagues because the the Cardinals, the depth chart has just fallen apart. Oh yeah, especially yeah, the uh, outfield's been a nightmare. But um, like, <clears throat> but for example, like today, I mean, he's still a righty, and uh, he still doesn't hasn't shown some core um, competency in terms of like making contact. I mean, that's he looks very average in terms of plate discipline right now. Um, and, and below average when it comes to walking. And, and you look at his DFS projections, you know, worth a couple bucks, you know. So um, yeah, I guess our projections, um, you have to multiply them by 100 or something. Uh, about a doubt he's worth $2 on FanDuel today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why I would say. Why. I oh, that, that, the- that's just his point total, I believe. Oh, okay. Not okay, how much okay. money he's worth. So he'll he'll make two point two points for them, and they have a much lower scoring. So two points isn't necessarily a, a great night, but it's it's not it's not as awful as it might uh, initially sound. Whereas at FanDuel, right. or excuse me, whereas at DraftKings, they're saying about six point nine points. You know, so seven points, which again, not a great night, but actually not too bad if you're looking at that as a projection uh, for for somebody. So that's that's not that's not bad at all. Yeah, but I, I I think that does a good job of saying who he is. Like he's he's not bad if you don't have anything else going on. But yeah. um, uh, I doubt that uh, he would be a keeper for me because you don't you don't know what's happening next year. 
you don't know how much he's going to regress, and you really need this last month last month of data. So yeah, I agree with you. Like I said, I just wanted to check in on him. I didn't think that you were going to have any sweeping changes, but I knew he was you know um, on fire right now, and we we'd spoken at length about him. So I just wanted to check in real fast. Uh, I want to move over to <clears throat> pardon me to some closers. Like I said, we don't talk about them a lot, and that's probably my fault. But uh, there, there's some guys that uh, are kind of new to the role, and they're really excelling right now. And I want to get your thoughts on kind of them as a group. It's Sean Tolleson in Texas, Roberto Osuna in Toronto, and Ken Giles recently put in in, uh, in Philadelphia. And all three have really taken to the role. Uh, they're exemplary closers right now because they not only have the, the opportunities finally to get some saves – but they've got that strikeout, uh, that strikeout piece to go with solid ratios, and uh, you know that's kind of the key. You got you got to have it all these days to be one of the elite relievers. It's it, it's tough to just do it with a bunch of saves. I mean, there's going to be guys that get the 50 saves with uh, with the Jim Johnson-esque strikeout rate, and they're still going to be up near the top because yeah, you got the 50 saves year, but you can't bank on 50 year to year. So if you're talking about who's the best you really want to look at the base skills and all three of these guys giles osuna and tollison that's probably their order in, in terms of strikeout rate i would assume uh they've all got it so where do you stand on these three who do you like best i think it's easiest for me to pick who i like least and that's probably tolson because mm-hmm. uh it took him a while to get where he is he's 27 and um you know his velocity is already Actually, kind of average to below average for a reliever. 92.9 is uh, is not uh, standout velocity, and uh, so I really like that Osuna has spent you know fewer fewer bullets than any of them, um, and uh, has a really nice uh, swing strike rate. In fact, uh, I think it would surprise you um, that uh, it's just a tick below Ken Giles, but. Uh, Giles, I think, is easily the top one because he's in the peak uh, age range. He's at 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still got the velocity uh, at 96. And though he's a two-pitch guy, I mean, it's, he's a reliever, so that's fine. He, he really strikes me as, as about to go on sort of a Kimbrell-esque uh, tear. I agree. Uh, and I, yeah, Jason and I thought that coming uh, into the year. We thought that yeah, they would move uh, Papelbon sooner to, to let him take over, and Giles has been so great. Uh, just too lit. Yeah, it just took forever. But I, I think Osuna is an interesting. I mean, I got him in that Trout deal, so I didn't. I didn't want to mention him because he's just a reliever. But in um, Auto knew all the uh, setup guys are on too. So um, you know, I was happy to get Osuna as basically a throw-in in that deal. And um, I think he's. Uh, I think he's going to stick around. I mean, here's my question. I, I think he's going to stick around. Reliever is so volatile year to year. But, Definitely. You know, he throws 96. He's got three pitches. He's got 14% swinging strike rate, and he's just now starting to figure out how to put pitches in front of each other. Do you think he's going to stay in that role? Is this now what he is um, going to be? Because he could then be a stud again. I think you know he's already 20, or only 20, I should say. So he could really be a stud for several years uh, in the role because closers can tend to burn out kind of quickly. Uh, he's already pretty young. Or are they going to move him back to starter because? You know, Aaron Sanchez closed a bit last year and then was get moved back into starter. Obviously, it didn't really work out. Now he's back in the bullpen. So are they going to learn from other teams kind of yanking these guys back and forth uh, and just leave him? Or do you think that he gets a chance to start again for Osuna? You know, that's very interesting. I, from a, 
from a like what they've said standpoint, I don't think that I've heard as much about uh, Osuna going back to uh, starting. Mm-hmm. And, Me and I and I the way I remember it with um, the way I remember it with uh, with Sanchez is that they kind of were always talking about how they still wanted to, to That's start. True. So. You're right. Uh, that that strikes me as different. Um, and uh, looking at the movement on his change, uh, it doesn't have good drop, uh, but it has good velocity gap and decent fade. Um, and that would be, you know, part of why you would, uh, you know, make him a starter is because he does have three pitches. But I just, I just feel like um, the, the the approach to him has been totally different. And um, uh, I, I think this far into it. They're, they're not the kind of team that's going to spend on a reliever. So, uh, I mean, that much we know because they've had plenty of opportunities to acquire guys in trades um, and and pay for relievers in the offseason, and they just haven't done it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I doubt that they get someone to replace him. I doubt that they go sign a closer to, you know, put in front of him. Yeah, I mean, especially – and I – whether it's right or wrong, I think this will have a big influence. If he holds up, if they make the playoffs and he does just fine uh, with it, it, closing out games for them, whether they you know, lose in the first round and it's not three blown saves or something like that, uh, then I don't see any reason why they you – know, what would be the incentive necessarily to go out and, and, he won't and replace have the, it? He won't, yeah, they won't have the innings either, right? So yeah. if they wanted to – uh, make him a starter next year, what's the most they could pitch him next year? I mean, they could pitch him – a hundred innings, maybe, you know, and um, and and some of that would have to be spent in the minor leagues because they'd have to be stretching him and sending him down and skipping starts and, you know, this whole rigmarole and you know shooting a hole in their bullpen in the in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, maybe if Price leaves um, and they they feel they need something, but then Stroman's going to be back and um, you know they'd always have. The possibility of, of spending on a on a on a, on a starter, and uh, I just think that seems more likely to what they've done in the past than um, you know spending on a reliever. And I, I would agree there for sure. Out of there, they make they put a hole. So I wanted to uh, this last closer before we talk some starters. I just wanted to give Zach Britton some due. I don't think he's getting the love that he deserves. I mentioned you know that guys can excel with a Jim Johnson type strikeout rate. Uh, you know, but it's not necessarily something that you want to bet on year to year. That was Britain last year. He had this the elite ground ball rate. I mean, he was a, a lefty version of Jim Johnson, really. Uh, the strikeout rate was a little bit higher, but that was probably as much due to the era uh, as anything else. Jim Johnson at his peak probably could have maintained a 22% strikeout rate. It's just not elite for for closers. 75% ground ball rate last year. Well, Britain's turned it up. He's now at a 29% uh, strikeout rate with turning up the ground ball rate as well, 78%. He is absolutely elite. I think this guy is a top five closer now, um, and it's not really getting any run. He's on a you know solid enough team that's going to continue to keep him in safe situations as well. I love Zach Britton, and I totally buy what we're seeing. Um, are, you, are you in on the Zach Britton train? Yeah, I talked to that whole bullpen, and uh, they, were, they were great guys. I really enjoyed talking to them. And... Um, you know, Britain's just so amazing because he actually holds that sinker grip. Um, that's actually, a, he holds it in a cutter, a cutter grip. Oh, wow. And I think that's why he, he gets some of the most drop on his sinker 
of any non uh, side armor out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, his his uh, sinker drop looks like a side armor almost. So I think Absolutely. he's got kind of he's got a a really unique pitch in that it has uh, you know cutter drop. Um, uh, well, actually, cutters don't always drop. I mean, you know, almost like slider drop. I mean, literally slider drop. I mean, his his value for vertical movement this year on the pitch is uh, 3.3, and the average uh, slider um, gets. Let's see here. I got to get that open. Uh, the average slider is 1.2. Okay, so it's not quite, but. Um, uh, Definitely, you know, sinkers are usually 4.5 or, or higher, five, you know, mm-hmm. usually around five. Um, and uh, and so, you know, he's it's something like split fingers, 2.6. Uh, so it's almost like split finger drop wow. with uh, split finger drop with uh, sinker uh, fade and four seam velocity. Exactly. Because that's the that's the main <laughs> piece, too, is that he's humping it in there at 96 on average. Seven and six, yeah. So so ridiculous. Then, you know, the curve, the curve is pretty decent. It's up to eighty four now, and um, I think he's spotting it good. And he's getting thirty percent whiffs. He's not using it a lot, but it's like, you know, uh, it's good enough that I think you know as he loses a little bit of velocity on the sinker, um, he can he can use the curve a little bit more and still re- retain some of those strikeout rate gains. So yeah, he's beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'll be I'll be having him very high up there with the elites next year. Uh, let's jump over to some starting pitchers. Let's talk about Chris Medlin's return last night. Pretty impressive stuff. I didn't see it, so I'm I'm box score scouting when I say that. Maybe he was trashed and deserved to give up ten runs. But uh, from what I could gather, both from the the quick pitch highlights, which is not much, and uh, and the box score, I'm flying a little bit blind here. But uh, a baseline quality start, five hits. Six strikeouts, no walks against Baltimore. That's pretty solid stuff right there. And he'd been kind of working his way back via the bullpen, had a 2.51 ERA in seven appearances. Almost all of them were extended outings, so he had 14 innings in those 14 and a third innings in those seven appearances. So Medlin's working his way back, and he's trying. You know, he's fighting uphill against becoming a a success story after two Tommy Johns. We're only 20 and a third innings in, but so far so good. Did you get a chance to check this out yesterday, and what did you see? Yeah, I, I I like him, and you know, the only reason to worry about him is health, really. And, that's uh, it. Yep. You know, one nice thing that was great about him, especially since he hasn't you know uh, started a bunch of games this year, is that uh, he was still 90, 91, 92 in the um, you know even sometimes ninety three in the sixth inning. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, well, I mean uh, fifth inning. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, for him to retain that velocity like that, I think is a really good sign. That's, that's, that to me is the, uh, is one of the great, uh, ways to, to spot, you know, a, a guy who's not stretched. I mean, we've been talking about Rice Iglesias all year and, uh, to have Medlin come in and, and keep his velocity, even though it's not plus velocity, um, you know, it's, it's better than he's actually shown in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you with know, his so, command, you know, I'm not that concerned with it being prime velocity because when Medlin's on, he's got some tremendous command of his stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's mostly about that changeup, but uh, the curve is decent too. And it's a, th- it's a legit three-pitch mix. And it's always somehow managed to be better than, um, you know, his dips in a way. I mean, yeah. in, in terms of uh, 
his strikeout rate, his walk rate, you know, you'd expect him to have a, a worse ERA than he does. And I think it might be somewhat related to this change-up, uh, weak contact thing that I've talked about in terms of guys with plus change-ups often have bigger uh, whiff rates than strikeout rates. Um, that doesn't mean they're, they're bad. It just means that you, you, I think, you know, you won't get a strikeout per inning for Medlin anymore uh, as a starter. But I do think that they're going to use him as a starter as long as they can. Mm-hmm. And um, Perfect and I team. Think, because yeah, I think they only need five out of him on any given night. They can give him, you know, the, the way they kind of work with Chris Young before he, they determined that he kind of ran out of gas was, hey, give us five or six. If, give us what you can. And so it's the perfect team where they don't have to ask a lot of him. They have a huge lead, so they can kind of, you know, it's a bit of a risk, of course. He could, he could get pounded, but uh, so they can afford to kind of do this with Medlin. I like it. What kind of leagues are you picking him up in? How, how shallow? Uh, what kind of mixer would it take for you to pick up Medlin right now and take a shot? Uh, I mean, he's def- at the very least, he's a streamer in all leagues. Um, you know, you, I think you'd want to, um, you know, want, they may watch him a little bit when it comes to, um, you know, going into Texas on a hot night or something. Sure. Uh, that sort of deal, you know, might, might spend some time on your bench. Um, but, um, honestly, I don't, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, like compared to, um, you know, another guy we want to talk about is Matt Cain. Yes. Uh, let's you know, just, yeah, let's jump right over to him since you're going to see him tonight too. What are you, what are you seeing out of him? There's been some good, but but mostly bad, unfortunately, with uh, with his return. So he's got a 5.66 ERA and a 1.53 WHIP. Uh, talk to us a bit about Matt Cain, please. I mean, they're both older guys that are you know coming back from surgeries, and um, you know the the nice thing about Cain is that he's found some of the depth on his pitches. He he really was flat early in the season, um, and now uh, he's he's really the last three starts, only one of them has been a good start. But, you know, over the last three starts, he's found depth on his change, his sinker, and his slider again. So um, I, I, I think he can maybe hit his projections at least. And those projections are very close to some of the projections for Medlin, uh, 3.9, 1.2-ish, um, uh, that kind of work, uh, seven, seven strikeouts per nine. And that's very borderline for 12-teamers, which is why I call him, uh, you know, both kind of streamer guys. But I'll take Medlin because um, Medlin more recently was beating his projections and um, didn't quite depend on a super suppressed home run, you know, home run rate. And uh, you know, Kane did depend on some of those things. So um, you know, even a, even the projections for Kane have him giving up, you know, 1.2 homers for nine going forward, um, and that just seems riskier to me. But you know, if you if you had a plan where you're like you, you could find a way to put Kane and Medlin on your bench and just pitch Kane at home and Medlin at home, um, you'd probably get a, a 12 team worthy starter out of the two of them. Nice, I, I like that. And honestly, as we kind of get down to the end of it, you got to start kind of making these maneuvers and taking chances and finding maybe unorthodox ways to get some value because we're just running out of time. Waiver wires are dried up. You know, you're not finding a ton of value out there. At least I'm not in, in the leagues I'm in. So uh, I like that uh, something like this, this could be available to folks in 10, 10 for sure, 12-team leagues where you can kind of combo guys like this, returning these injury returns, maybe some, some to excuse me, some September call-ups, which we'll try to talk about on Thursday, some guys we think could make an impact. Uh, last guy before we get you out of here, Jordan Zimmerman. Uh, someone forgot to take 
turn off their phone. That would be me. Sorry, folks. Uh, let's talk about Jordan Zimmerman. I mentioned, you know, uh, not having a bad year. And I don't want to – I think I might have overstated it because he was the guy I was talking about where I said uh, a former stud having having his struggles this year or something like that. That's 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 overstating it. A 354 ERA. You know, I, I hate when people have guys like this who didn't exactly perform up to expectations and then you hear, you know who killed my year? Jordan Zimmerman, man. That's why I didn't <laughs> win, man. You know, because they got a 354 ERA, man. I was trying to get that 254 ERA, so that's why I didn't win. You know, it, it happens all the time. Guys who just didn't didn't play up to their 100th percentile, but certainly didn't kill you. This is where Jordan Zimmerman fits. This is a perfectly fine year, even though it is his highest full season ERA at 354. It's well within the range of outcomes. It's just not on the highest end. So where In fact, do you? I think you know this is. This this is the kind of work that I always expected out of him. That's the thing. I think he was in as I love Jordan Zimmerman. So I was out there saying that he can continue to be the stud that he is. But when you really break it down on his base skills, this 354 shouldn't be all that surprising. Even yeah, though I, I did that, think it would be better, um, I'm still not surprised by it at all. And I'm not calling I don't want to call it a disappointing season. It's well in the outcome range for sure. I would say that the the most disappointing thing is the whip, just because with a guy with his you know intense uh, walk rate, you know, yes, always below two, um, he's you know he's he's usually a lock for a one point one type whip, um, and I guess I can we can blame Ian Desmond a little bit for that. Sure, um, there there is some of that. Yeah. It is a uh, career some, high. Some of the turmoil in the outfield since he's a little bit more of a flyball guy. Um, the, a three ten BABIP seems a little bit rough. Career um, high for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, the, the his 91 inning debut, he had a 332. Uh, so I guess that that counts. But but first full uh, full season career high. Yeah, uh, I would just say that uh, at 29, uh, with the one surgery in his past and without you know top shelf um, uh, whiffs or or strikeouts, uh, Zimmerman seems like a prime candidate for rebuilding you know dynasty type leagues to uh, to trade. Uh, I mean, I think there's enough there that somebody could use him for the final month. Sure. Uh, give you a decent prospect for it, or a decent, a decent young player. So um, that's that that has showed up in my in my timeline a little bit. That question. So um, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I I agree with your main point about the whip too. A 3.54 ERA, you can take and almost expect on some level that that it could be uh, something you get saddled with. But even if I told you there was going to be a 3.54 whip this year, yeah, you would have said, okay, with a with a 1.1 whip, uh, with a 1.13 whip or something, I'll take it. You know, it'll be all right. But but the 1.22, uh, it can't all be the defense. And I think there has been some ineffectiveness on his end. Uh, the defense hasn't helped on both sides, like you said, infield. Outfield. The reason he just leaves me cold is that you know a career 8.7% swing strike rate is below average, and and it doesn't come with a you know an outstanding ground ball rate, um, and it just uh, there's too much of a whiff of average about him. Here's um, the thing: I think as he gets older, he will morph into a firm ground ball guy because he's shown it in the past. It, uh, he's kind of bounced around. He's been this. This uh, this chameleon of a pitcher for Jordan Zimmerman, where sometimes he's getting strikeouts at a crazy rate, and and you can tell he's like trying for them, he's setting batters up and getting them. Other times he's like three pitches and out, trying to get out as quickly as he can with three pitches, get that ground he's ball. Even, he's even admitted to those things in yeah. interviews. So, and so. and and so 
I think that he has a little bit more control over what he can be uh, in terms of shading one way or the other. I think he'll be a heavy ground baller as he gets older and into his early 30s. So um, we'll see how that plays out. I don't know what to do with that knowledge. I just think that – or that opinion, I guess. It's not knowledge. But uh, <laughs> I do think that will be the case with Zimmerman. So we'll, we'll see how that how that goes. But, uh, you know, we got to get you to the yard. We're right up against the time. Hope you have a good time tonight with Cubs, Giants. We'll talk on Thursday. Start thinking about some September call-ups who are a little bit off the radar that you think could make an impact, and we will talk about those on Thursday. All right. All right, take care. Thanks for listening. listening.